So when we think about measures, oftentimes we know from a very young age, we kind of know some standardized versions of measurement, don't we? You know, the kind of American standard of measurement, whether it be inches or feet and so on and so forth, or what seems to be the the, uh, the kind of the standard throughout the rest of the world, the metric system outside of small pockets of the world, and of course the United States of America, the metric system seems to be a measurement, but there's also sort of informal forms of measurement. How many times have we said, oh yeah, that's about three football fields length, right? You know, about three football fields long from here to there, or maybe one or two. If we have a dog, we'll say, yeah, my dog is 80-something years old in dog years, Right? You know, and, and my kids, I remember too, uh, early on in elementary school, when they were learning about measurement, they would not only teach them standardized measurements, but to teach them the concept of measurement, they'd have them lay down on the floor and measure from one end of the classroom to the other in their own body lengths, right? So forms of measurement. There's also some unique forms of measurement out there. One is a Mickey. Does any of our IT guys know what a Mickey is? It's actually a form of measurement. It's the smallest mouse movement. It's the smallest amount of the pointer that's on the screen connected to your mouse. The smallest measurement of that, the smallest movement it can possibly make. And so kind of on common resolution screens, it's about 500 per inch. A Mickey is a standard of measurement. Now, it's not as standardized, of course, as the metric system or our American standard, but in the field, it's sort of used in common nomenclature, the field. Also, in marine biology, they actually kind of have a common form of measurement in their field, which is known as a whiffle, and yes, is based upon the, the whiffle ball, the little ball, plastic ball with the holes in it that you play whiffle ball with the whiffle bat, and they use it to measure kind of uh, forms of coral. They say that, for, that, that because coral is so abstract and it's so different in its shape, they'll say that collection of coral, that piece of coral is about 10 whiffles in its total volume of its total measurement. Here's one I love, too, because I, for some reason, I just kind of say donkey from time to time. I just kind of, if something, you know, I'll say, man, that, oh, gosh, come on, donkey, you know, to myself or whatever. It's just kind of a weird thing I've had forever. I know it sounds, it sounds weird, but it's kind of like my little word that I use, you know, or I'll say, man, that guy's such a donkey, you know, kind of playfully, you know, not actually insulting anyone. But uh, so I love this one. We've heard of horsepower, but there's actually donkey power, too, in certain sort of uncommon field, and formally somebody will say, well, that's donkey power, about a third of a horsepower. Now, someone who out there has a farming background will probably come up to me after the service and say, actually, if that's true or not, maybe even a donkey has more power, you might say, but donkey power. I love this one too. There's actually a measurement, and it's actually in, it's one of the forms you can convert to in Google Calculator known as beard per second, beard per second. And if you've ever grown a beard, I haven't grown a beard in the last year, but I had a beard for about two, three years in a row. But uh, you know this kind of beard per second. It's actually a form of measurement that's just kind of used informally, but it's 10 nanometers per second, 10 nanometers per second. It's actually used, again, informally in, in, in the building of small circuits. And it's actually a form that you can convert to, or at one point you could on Google Calculator. So we're looking at measures, measures. But when we're thinking in terms, and as we put up our vision frame that we've been walking through over the course of the last few weeks, as we are here in the the month of August going through our vision again, we started with mission. What are we doing? And again, we said every church basically has the same mission, which is based upon the great commission 
given by Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 28. So every Christian in every church has basically the same mission. We might just have a different way of saying it, expressing it in our context. The Great Commission is to make disciples, that we are doing our best under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to see that people are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they are growing in maturity. So not only are they coming to faith in Christ, what we might say sort of in commonality evangelism, that we're leading people to Christ, but also that they are growing in maturity. And so we love to say it this way, that we're leading people to follow Jesus. It's the very words that he uses in multiple places in the gospel for people that come and commit their life to him to repent, as he says in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, to repent and believe. He says, follow me, follow me. So that means that someone is committing their life to the Lord Jesus Christ And the ultimate outcome of that, of course, is that they are, as he says in John chapter 3, that they are born again. So we as a church, we're leading people to follow Jesus and to live like Jesus. So it's not enough to just see that someone is saved. It is our job as his spiritual family, his or her spiritual family, to come alongside that person who has now given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ and to help them grow in maturity. Now, the ultimate expression of that, and this is why we love to say it, What is the ultimate expression of someone growing in maturity in Jesus Christ to become more like Jesus? What are they going to do? Daily, they are going to live like Jesus. Are we going to do it perfectly? No. But that's the ultimate expression of maturity, growing up in Christ Jesus, is that we're going to live like him. So we say, why are we doing it? Ultimately, we're doing it out of obedience to God, obedience to Jesus Christ, and out of gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done. But here are some things that we value. We value these things. We value in all that we're doing glorifying God. We also value reaching people, reaching people. That kind of fits right in there with leading people to to Jesus. We value as a church and as individuals reaching those who don't know Jesus Christ, who are far from God. We'll touch on that today as we uh, get here to the bottom in measures. Also, life change, seeing people that come to faith in Jesus Christ, and even those of us who have given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, many years ago, that it doesn't mean that we've arrived, but it means that we are continuing in life change. How does that happen? Not only does that happen in your individual life and in the context of a larger church body like this, but it happens also in the midst of authentic relationships. So a church body like this truly is a church family, and that we're not just to be loosely connected, ships in the sea, crossing at night, but we are to have authentic relationships. Can we have authentic relationships with 150, 175 people? Not to that degree with all of us, but there should be these authentic relationships that we have. We love sort of to say this in this way. Uh, Do you have any 2 a.m. friends? Can someone call you at 2 a.m. and pour their heart out to you about something desperate in their life, and can you do the same? Authentic relationships, and then also lifestyle worship. We said last week, when we come in here into this worship service, this is an outpouring of worship that should be happening Monday through Saturday, if you will, in our daily lives. That we are living in our, our lives in such a way, living in holiness and in sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done. Do we do it perfectly? No, but we should be growing in it, yes. And so our lives are lived as a daily sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that when we come in here together, either through song or prayer or Bible study, that that is an outpouring of our daily lives lived in lifestyle worship. And then today, we get to measures. Just as these units of measurement measure a particular thing, so do these questions measure what we believe to be the things that we should be measuring. 
Now, here's the thing, and then I'm going to read through this passage, and we're going to hit it one more time. But look at this. We're going to put it on the screen. The ultimate measure for any church is the measure of Jesus Christ, the measure of Jesus Christ himself. The ultimate measure for any church, and of course we know as a church, a local body is made up of the individual believers that extends to us as individual believers. The ultimate measure for any church, and you could say a believer as well, is the very measure of Jesus Christ himself. And so it brings us here to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. So rich throughout this section of the book of Ephesians. The first part of the book of Ephesians are some basic truths of the faith. Some basic things and say, these are true, absolutely, and amen. Here are some things about the nature of Jesus Christ, the nature of mankind, the nature of sin, the nature of God. And he says, it's almost like you can see Paul saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he turns the corner in the book of Ephesians. Now, based upon all these things, this is how you should live. This is how you should live. So rich. We hit on a bunch of this here, the latter part of chapter four last week. And so we're gonna be right here in the middle today, picking up on three verses, and then we'll add to a few of these things as we go here. But he says here, starting in verse 11, and he himself, as of course Jesus Christ, gave some in the midst of a church context to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. For what reason? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, the feeding of the body of Christ till all, till we have all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to look to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now we could say, okay, we just kind of picked that word and all right, the first passage that kind of came up in the Bible search that had the word measure in it. But no, that's not true at all. This is actually a perfect application of what we're saying is that the ultimate measure for our church and for us as individuals is Jesus Christ himself. Are we becoming more like Jesus as individuals and as a church body, are we becoming more like Jesus Christ every day? And we have some particular almost in our context, if you will, and practical questions that we're going to look at today, practical application questions as we kind of have a large section at the end of the sermon looking at those practical application questions that we ask ourselves as a church and as individuals to see, are we growing are we growing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ? And are we helping others to, are we leading others to follow Jesus and to live like Jesus? So again, the ultimate measure for any church is the measure of Jesus Christ himself. So let's walk back through this, starting in verse 11. Again, he himself, Jesus Christ, gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. So if you look a little bit further or look a little bit further up on your page, a little bit further back in the passage, it talks about spiritual gifts. So he says a great reality in any church is that those of us who have given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, that means, again, as Jesus says, we have repented, we've turned from our old way of life, we've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been forgiven, we've been cleansed. Jesus says the change is so radical in our life that he described it as being born again. Radical change in our life. He says one of the great things about that is that the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, takes up residence within us so that we're no longer trying to live the Christian life or we're not from here on out trying to live the Christian life sort of twisting in the wind on our own and trying to figure it out as we go. But we have the Holy Spirit of God that resides within us, illuminating, shining the light upon God's holy word. So we know exactly if we're honest with ourselves and our daily situations and our daily lives, we know exactly what we should be doing in any given situation. It's a matter of obedience, is it not? 
And so he says, and he gave himself, gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So one of the other things that happens is when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life, he says that each believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only has their life been radically changed, not only has the Holy Spirit come up and take residence within their life, but the Holy Spirit also gives them what's called a spiritual gift so that they can exercise that spiritual gift in the midst of a local body known as a local church just like this one and just like our sister churches that are meeting right now all over Wichita, just like our sister churches that are meeting all over the world of the Lord's Day, all of us, are we have believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, have the Holy Spirit within that have been gifted with the Holy Spirit and have been given spiritual gifts to strengthen this body of Christ, to strengthen this body of Christ. Now he says here are some, of, some specific things, and these almost take the form of uh, and at least transition into my, what we might call some of the leadership positions, whether that be sort of formal, or we might say in our context, a paid leader like myself, or informal leadership. He himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers. For what reason? So that they can do the ministry, right? No. What did he say? For the equipping of who? The saints. For what? For the work of the ministry, right? So these specific roles have been given, and you could almost say in kind of our context, a pastoral role or some of the other leadership that, that kind of resembles a pastoral role. We've been given the admonition to equip the saints. That means any believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that fills a local church, no, it is not a sainthood, as some of our Catholic friends say, and, and, and that we have to become a saint. There are certain things that we do. The Bible is very clear that the saint is the person who has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are born again. That's a saint. So if you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You are a saint. So what is the job of the pastor to do? The job of the pastor, the job of the leadership of the church isn't to do the work. It's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, here's the thing. We oftentimes have that wrong assumption, don't we? That it's the pastor's job to do the work or the formal leadership. And guess what? Who's the greatest violator of that? It's not you as the lay leadership. It's me as the pastor. For whatever reason, I feel like, okay, well, gosh, I'm, I'm the one that's, that's, been, that's been appointed to do this work or the uh, informal leadership or formal leadership. We've been the ones that have been appointed to do this work. Or sometimes it can be a matter of selfish ambition and pride. Well, gosh, if, I'm, if I do this work, then I get the credit. Sometimes that can even happen. But we've been called as leadership in the church to do what? To equip the saints, to equip one another for the work of the ministry, to carry out the great commission of making disciples for the edifying the body of Christ. And so you say, well, gosh, that's quite a bit. So you're telling me it's my role, along with my other brothers and sisters in Christ who are here a part of this church, it's our role, it's our responsibility to carry out the work of the ministry in the midst of this church. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we might say to ourselves, well, pastor, how are we going to do all of these things? Well, I think one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves as a church body is, do we need to do all of these things? In air quotes, if you're listening back to this on the podcast, these things. How many of these things are we doing? You see, one of the things that happens in any established church like this, and guess what? Any church, even if it's a brand new church, after a couple years, it becomes established in its own way. Any church has to make sure that we don't have what we might call 
mission drift, drifting away from our mission of making disciples and drifting into filling our times with filling our time and our calendar and our effort and our focus with things that don't truly accomplish the mission of making disciples to see people come to faith in Christ and grow in maturity in Christ. And as we would say it again, leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We have right here in our head the greatest supercomputer the world's ever seen. So we can, as human beings with the brain, we can figure out any way to kind of connect point A, which is the, God, which is the mission, the great commission of making disciples, with any point B that we want to, which is any particular activity or, or any particular program that we might like or whatever it may be. And we can figure out how to make, make that fit and say, well, that accomplishes this mission, it accomplishes part of it. But one of the things that we have to do in the church as individuals and as leadership is we have to be very careful to make sure that we don't have mission drift in our church because there is nothing more that Satan would like to do than to have a church be busy with tons of things that don't really accomplish the mission of making disciples. That'd be one of his greatest tools, distraction, distraction. So it says, for the making of disciples, for the equipment of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This word not only means feeding, but it means this sort of building up, almost building up like what protein would do when you exercise and then you drink a protein shake or you'd eat some good protein. I used to make when I was actually exercising on a regular basis and we were on a budget. You know what I'd do? I'd get one of those cans of tuna. I'd get a can of tuna and I'd mix it with, pick, with dill pickle relish and a little bit of mayonnaise and put it on crackers. Is that, is, now, some people are like, yeah, that's good. And some people are like, that is gross. That is gross. But it was loaded with protein. It would build up the body. Not only do we see the picture of building up the body, but also, as we might think of, building up a house. You ever remember that show on TV, Extreme Makeover Home Edition? Do you remember that? When they would have a huge crew of people come in and renovate a house, and it was a short amount. It was like three days or something like that. I can't remember. It was less than a week. I know that for certain. My cousin, actually, here in town, she actually had an opportunity to work on one of those as part of the work crew. The way they would accomplish that so quickly is, of course, they would bring out a a big crew of professionals, probably a larger crew than you'd even see standard building on one house, but they'd also have a huge crew of volunteers as well. And so that's how they would accomplish so much in such a short period of time is they'd have a large crew of not only volunteers, but professionals. And so we too, the, the greater work can be done in a local church if I as a, the pastor and as the leadership of this church, if we are building up, if we are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So he says for the equipping of the saints, the building up, the edifying of the body of Christ, and what's the goal? What are we aiming for? What is the measure that we see? It says this, till we all come to the unity of the faith, We all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, that perfect standard, who is Jesus Christ, to that measure, that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To we all come to the unity, that first little section you see there. To we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Listen to this. Write this down. We're going to put it on the screen for you. There is nothing more unifying than growing in the maturity of Jesus Christ. We want unity in our midst, in unity in this church body. And I, I tell people whenever I have an opportunity to talk about our church just out and about, 
one of the great things that I can say with certainty is that God is doing a great work in building us up in unity. And it's really neat to see that church family and, and just building that tight-knit uh, family nature that we have even tighter, building us up, building us up together in unity. And there's nothing more unifying than growing in maturity, in the maturity of Jesus Christ. So till we come to the unity of the faith, we're all unified, guess what, around our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater bond of unity in the world than the fact that one Christian has a bond with another, that a radical change, no more radical change possible in their life has taken place than what is the reality with one believer and another, is the fact that they have given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they've been changed. They've been born again. That is our unity. We unify around the faith, and we grow in unity as we grow in maturity for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the measure? What is the goal? To a perfect man, to that measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. We could say it's almost the back end of our mission statement and to live like Jesus. You know, that word measure there is actually a Greek word known as metron. Metron. Metron with another Greek word, namos, law, we get our English word metronome. So it's this sort of absolute standard of measure. And really that concept in ancient Greek sort of common cultural literature was a big theme in Greek literature. This idea of the absolute measure of what? Of values. Now here's the thing. They were searching for absolute measure of values. And if you, in class, maybe you're bored to tears, maybe you had to read some sort of ancient Greek philosophy, and maybe you touched on this or something similar to it. But oftentimes, they would spend these brilliant minds spending a ton of time laboring over these, these great issues of life. And in the, in the instance of this one, this absolute measure of values, but yet they did not know. They didn't ultimately know the ultimate source of values, and that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are growing up, being built up in unity, edifying the body of Christ. We all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so when we think about applying it to our church body, applying it to our church body, there's a few questions here that we want to ask ourselves. And as you saw there at the bottom, it's sort of the bottom section known, of course, as measures of our vision frame. And the little tagline under the word measure says this, can our people answer yes? So can you, our people, can we answer yes to these questions? And these questions are obviously goals that we shoot for, but the goal that we're shooting for is that we could all be answering yes to these particular questions. The first one is very simply this, have I met with God today? Have I met with God today in his word and in prayer? Psalms 1 Verses one through three, I love these verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You say, well, that's not me. Well, unless for the decisions of life, you are making the decisions of life based on being immersed in the word of God, then yes, you are. Because we're making the decisions of life based upon something. We're either making the decisions of life based upon our heart, And it's a heart that if we're not immersed in the word of God is is a heart and a mind that is not probably, uh, at least not to a a great degree, to 100% getting those decisions right because we're not immersed in the word of God. But we're either making those decisions based upon our heart or what the culture at large tells us or maybe what our friends tell us to do. 
So he says, blessed is the one who is not walking in those ways, but here's what he does. But his delight is what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. That means he finds his joy, his joy in the word of God here. It's not drudgery. It's not something you have to do, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he what? He meditates day and night. That means in any waking hour, anytime you have a little free time, are you reading God's word or are we kind of wasting a little time on social media? And when I say that, man, I am preaching to the, the only guy that's right here on the stage. I mean, even to myself, I, ask, I have to ask myself that question. If I've got five minutes of free time, do I go to social media or do I go to this time waster or do I go to the word of God? But he meditates on it day and night in verse three. And he, that one, shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in the season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You've seen as you're flying in, you can almost trace a river without seeing the water, can you not? Especially in a barren area because you can see the vegetation. You can see the trees outlining that river or that creek because they draw their sustenance and they draw their life from that water. It's the same way for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We grow up in maturity. We grow up to be a great oak tree. We grow up to be one of those really tall cottonwood trees that we see here just kind of hanging over the creeks. That happens to us when we immerse ourselves in God's word. It's our lifeblood. You say, well, you know, gosh, I'm not in the habit. What do I do? You just start. Just start. First of all, set the same time and the same place each and every day. Here's the thing. It starts as a habit, but it winds up as a love. I can tell you that. I can promise you that as sure as I'm sitting here today. If you start and you continue with the habit of spending time in God's word every day, give it time, give it time, because it starts as a habit, but it winds up as a love. You will love it, and you will be able to say amen and amen to these verses right here, Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Same time, same place. If you want some place to start, start with the book of John. That's a place that I tell brand new believers in Christ to start. Start with the book of John. If you're saying, I just need somewhere to start. Let me give you something even more practical here. You can go to Our Daily Bread website. Search for Our Daily Bread. It comes out at org or .com or something like that. They actually have daily devotionals online. You can get an app on your phone. They will actually even send you a free copy. And trust me, there are loads of other things like it. But I'll just give you one, very practical one, that very one right there, our daily bread. But just start, same time, same place, starts as a habit, winds up as a love. Second question, can our people answer yes to this? Have I made authentic relationships? Authentic relationships. We hit these couple of verses last week, and I want to hit them again here. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. And let us consider one another. Remember, that's not just using it as we might use it in our common nomenclature, like, oh, yeah, I just kind of considered that person. It means to think about them, to focus on them. Guess what's easiest to focus on? Number one, right? We can all focus on number one pretty easily. Focus on another person. Consider one another in order to what? Stir up, to, to poke that fire just like a campfire. If that fire's dying down, you stir it. You stoke that fire to stir up love and good works. That's what we're called to do in the midst of this church family. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. God tells us it is desperately necessary for a local body of Christ, a church family, to meet together, to gather together. He says, don't do that as is the manner of some, to forget about it, to neglect it, but exhorting one another. That means challenging and encouraging one another to grow up to the ultimate measure, which is what? Jesus Christ. But exhorting one another as so much the time as you see that great day approaching. You see, have a made authentic relationships. That sort of thing that we see described right there in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, of what should be happening, what should be repeated time after time after time again in the midst of a local body of Christ, that we're exhorting one another, we are stoking the fire of one another's faith. That sort of thing happens in the midst of authentic relationships. Authentic relationships. Am I a sacrificial giver? Am I a sacrificial giver? We know that the greatest example of sacrificial giving was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Philippians chapter 2. It says that he had that mind of a servant that gave the greatest gift that he could give, which was his own life on our behalf. Am I a sacrificial giver? 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says this, speaking specifically about financial giving, and then we're going to hit the three T's if you've heard me speak on those before again. But this I say, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And guess what? Guess what God promises to you here? Guess what God promises? That you're not going to be figuring out, you're not, you're not going to be left in destitute nature. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Does that mean you're necessarily going to get rich if you give to God your time, your t- treasure, and your talent, as we're going to talk about here in just a few moments? Not necessarily. Some do, some don't. But he says that he will take care of you and you will have all that you need. First of all, let's look at treasure. We're going to go out of order of what we normally do here when we've hit on these three T's before. Treasure. Money is the great master, or excuse me, money is a great servant, but it is a poor master. Money is a great servant, but a poor master. You remember Jesus said that the love of, the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil, not money. Money is a tool that can be either used for building the kingdom of God or building our own kingdom. Money is a great servant, but a poor, uh, poor master. When we look at average credit card debt in the U.S., average credit card debt, I had to look this up again. I thought I saw this wrong. $16,000, average U.S. credit card debt. That's when money becomes the master and not the servant. Very practically, too, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a member of a local church like this, are we starting our budget with a tithe? Are we starting our budget with a tithe? We see absolutely nothing in the New Testament that would tell us that the tithe has come to an end. And if we'd say there's any other standard given in the New Testament, it's one of far greater sacrifice than that. If we look at Acts chapter 2, 4, 6, but even in that, we look at what was the greatest expression, the most common expression of church in the day of Jesus, the transition from the old to the new, the synagogue. The tithe continued through there. And again, if we're thinking any other standard that we would see in Scripture, it would be one of far greater sacrifice than the tithe. And Dave Ramsey, one of those great kind of financial Christian gurus, says this, if we can't live on 90%, we're not going to live on 100%. 
And let me tell you, let me commiserate with you a little bit too if you're saying, man, things are tight, Pastor. I understand that. I understand that. There was a large portion of our life, as we often say, where we were po. We didn't even have enough, as one great comedian said. We didn't even have enough money for the last two letters of poor. We were po, right? Allie was staying at home. I was working as a youth pastor. We were in a tiny little home that leaked like a sieve, and it was hot, you know, it leaked like a sieve in the winter, especially. But we were faithful to give, and God gave us what we needed. Were we rich? No. But were we, did God give us absolutely what we needed? Absolutely, yes. And were we very happy about that money instead of, you know, we had to forgo some things. There's a few things that we had to forgo because of what we were giving uh, to the mission of God through the local church. But let me tell you, we never once regretted that money that we were giving to the mission of God through the local church. So we are a sacrificial giver of our treasure, but also of our time, our time. Our time reflects our priorities, right? Our time reflects our priorities. We all have 168 hours in the week. Have you done a time budget of that before? Something, again, very practical. I actually had some of my youth do this one time when we were illustrating this point of how are we giving our time. Time budget. Where are we spending our time? How much, especially in our day and age of media, where we can jump on something for five minutes, ten minutes, and all that adds up over the course of a day? How are we spending our time? Are we spending our time serving the Lord in the midst of his local church? Very closely related to that, too, is talent, talent. Now, here's the thing. Talent, especially when we speak about spiritual gifts, a spiritual gift is not a talent. But, you know, hey, any good point needs to be subservient to alliteration, right? We gotta, we gotta, it's got to be the three Ts. So. But we're going to speak about talent here. But one of those things is spiritual gift, which is anything but a talent. As we mentioned a little bit earlier on, it's one of these things, these special gifts given to the believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within, so that you can serve in the midst of the local church. One of these days we'll do a full study on the spiritual gifts. But not only that, but natural abilities. Singing is not a spiritual gift, but it's a natural ability. And can we use that to serve the Lord? Absolutely. Organization is not necessarily a spiritual gift, but can we use that as an ability in the midst of a local church? Absolutely. Construction ability, working with your hands, is it a spiritual gift? No, but it is a natural ability. It can absolutely be used in the midst of a local church. So it's giving our time and very closely related our talent, using not only our spiritual gifts, but our natural abilities to serve in the midst of the local church. Because remember, the local church is the outpost. It is God's plan A with no plan B to accomplish the goal of making disciples and reaching the world for Lord Jesus Christ. So we, in the midst of a local church, are to give our treasure, our time, and our talent to give of ourselves, to give of ourselves. Next week, we're going to look, in fact, at strategy. How are we going to carry this out? And we're going to look at the three expectations that we have as a member. If, if you were a member of this church body, the three expectations, weekly expectations that we have of every member of this church. So have I met with God today? Have I made authentic relationships? Am I a sacrificial giver? Am I close to someone far from God? If we're leading someone to follow Jesus, if we're leading someone to faith, if we are working in the midst of evangelism, if we're walking down the road to the 500 breakthroughs, we're trying to make a breakthrough of praying for someone, and then maybe we make another breakthrough of inviting that person to church, and then maybe after that we have an opportunity to share the gospel with them, and they give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things happen best in the midst of a relationship with a lost person? Do, are you close to them? Do they know you care about them? Do they think you're just a, they're just a notch on your belt, or do they know 
that you care about them. I love this, 1 Corinthians 9.22. This is speaking specifically about what Paul was willing to do so that he could have entree into someone's life. 1 Corinthians 9.22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And even prior to that verse, he's saying, to this group I became this. To this group I became this. He was willing to do what he needed to do to have entree into that person's life, that group's life, so that he could develop those relationships with them. He could come close to someone that is far from God, and he could try to win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we doing that sort of thing as well? Are we doing that sort of thing? Those, those that we know in our life, whether it be at work or school, wherever it may be, are we drawing close to those people? Are we saying, God, how can I practically be missional? How can I live as a missionary in my daily life? How can I show these people that I care for them? And then, Lord, give me an opportunity to make breakthroughs and breakthrough and another breakthrough and another breakthrough. Am I close to someone far from God? And then finally, does my life reflect Jesus. This is almost kind of coming full circle. Come on, full circle here. Does my life reflect Jesus? Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 2, a little bit later in this very book. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Some of our translations say as dearly loved children. Be imitators of God as dear children. We are adopted into the family of God. When we become believers in Jesus Christ, radical change again takes place in our life. No more radical, so radical. Jesus, the, the best way you could describe it is being born all over again. And guess what one of the great benefits is? We are adopted into the family of God. He says, therefore, be imitators of your father. Be imitators of God as dear children. And what do we do? We walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. No greater expression of love than Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for us. And what do we do as an offering and as a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma? That's what his sacrifice was on the cross. Based upon all that, we are to be imitators of God. Does our life reflect Jesus? So again, finally, kind of coming full circle where we started again. When we think about measuring, how do we measure in our church? How do we measure the success of knowing, are we accomplishing our mission of leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus? We must ask ourselves these kind of very practical questions that we looked at today. Have I met with God today? Can I answer yes to this question? Have I made authentic relationships? Am I a sacrificial giver? Am I close to someone far from God? And again, does my life reflect Jesus? But all in all, again, bookending what we talked about today, bringing it a full circle is this. The ultimate measure for any church, the ultimate measure for any church and any individual is the very measure of Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come now, as we think about it, this church is just as is any church, any local body of Christ, the building blocks of this church are the individual believers. And so I pray that we would ask ourselves with great honesty and humility uh, these practical questions, these application questions for our local body, these very practical things. Can we ask ourselves these things and be honest with ourselves in humility about them? Lord, we know we're not going to do these things perfectly, but we are to strive for holiness as you called us to do. The very measure of Jesus Christ as he lived out the perfect life. Oh, those so many years ago. But Lord, we know that we're not working around our true nature. 
But Lord, we know that if we've given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, our true nature is righteousness and holiness. And so, Lord, I pray that we would yield to you. And Lord, that we would do that most practical of things, which is draw close to you and meet with you every day through your word and through prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.